Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everyone welcome back to podside picnic and i'm back here with the uh shall we say captain peleon to my great admiral thrawn no pete deserves more credit than that i'm kidding <laughs> but we are discussing um a star wars novel we're back to books and it is as you might have guessed if you know these things heir to the empire by timothy zahn which came out in 1991 and Pete, is it fair to say that Heir to the Empire is maybe the most universally beloved of the Star Wars novels or close to it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if it isn't the most beloved, I wouldn't it would have to be another one in the Zahn series because it. Right. They're considered a cut above, certainly. Yeah. And for those who don't know, uh, this came, this is set, I think, basically right at, uh, shortly after Return of the Jedi, I think a few years later. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, I I think it's like a year, maybe two years after the the uh, the destruction of the second Death Star. So, yeah, so the uh, the New Republic, as it's calling itself, the former rebellion is ascendant. uh, But we see a lot of the trouble they're having holding their political political coalition together and expanding their power. There's a lot of internal politicking in this book. Uh, And we have all of our favorite characters like Han Solo, Luke Skywalker Leia Organa Solo are all um, very much on the page at various points doing things. Uh, honestly, one of the best things this book does is sort of try, give all of these characters things to do that are interesting and move us through different worlds in the best Star Wars tradition. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a direct it's it's directly building on Return of the Jedi with and I, I'm sure when this came out, uh, you know, a few years after Return of the Jedi in a pre-digital era, when people might have been might have been watching Return of the Jedi on VHS uh, I'm sure this was met with a clamoring. Were you like, were you around and in Star Wars fandom when this first came out, Pete? Um, yes, but interestingly, I didn't read it because I had such a bad experience with uh, Star Wars books in the past. Ah, well, fill us in on that a little bit. Okay, well, um, I didn't know this until later, but uh, Lucas was notorious for uh, for meddling. Uh, with the Star Wars books. So the basic idea is he didn't want you to introduce new characters. He didn't want you to do anything that might arguably alter the canon. And so basically what you had to do is you had to use the same characters that were in the movie and not alter their behavior and not do anything that changes them long term, which is the very definition of a bad story. So a lot. Yeah. A lot of the older Star Wars books are simply terrible because 
the characters didn't have any real choices. I think Zahn was able to do to to add some additional characters and make some changes, but he was one of the few writers that was able to work with any sort of restriction and still create what I thought was a pretty solid storyline. Well, I think you get some, something very important about Heir to the Empire, which is you can very much tell this is a professional at work. And by that, I mean a guy, I looked up Zahn at this point, he's written over 40 novels. He's still alive. I think he's in his 60s, um, would have been in his 30s when this came out, I think. And he's just written a tremendous amount of novels. Some are his original creations, some are commissioned uh, on existing intellectual property like this. He's just a workhorse who churns things out. And we're going to get into some detail on this. This is an exceptionally functional novel. This is like, uh, you know, the apex of functional, purposeful airport paperback prose, which I don't mean as an insult at all. I just mean that this guy knew what he was doing and what he was given the commission, as you said, to sort of give give canonical continuity to these characters after Return of the Jedi. He pursued that with gusto and precision and I would imagine if all you wanted was building on that original Star Wars trilogy, you probably would have been pretty happy with this. And on that note, I'm going to ask Pete, when did you first read this? Uh, at the same time you did. Wait, for real? <laughs> yeah, no, I'd never read this before. Uh, I, I know you came to me and said, hey, let's find the canonical Star Wars book. And I did what every smart person does in a situation like that. I cheated. Uh, I went out <laughs> and I... I talked to the other the other Star Wars nerds and like there are a lot of people with a lot of strong opinions. But Timothy Zahn came up again and again and again. And so like I looked around and this this was the starting point. Everybody recommends. So what you're saying is you took my request and you screenshotted it and you ran it through your Star Wars group DM. Uh, Well, I mean, I didn't <laughs> screenshot it, but otherwise, yes, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> That's not an accusation. Don't worry. I, uh, I'm constantly leaking group DM screenshots from various people. So don't, there's no, don't worry. <laughs> your, your loyalty, your loyalty is not in question, Pete. <laughs> um, okay. So I think the really key thing we have to mention about this book before getting into other things. So like I said, it's set in the new Republic. You have the familiar characters and you have a greatly reduced empire, kind of the remnants of the empire. And, the de facto leader of what's left of the Empire is what I am told is one of the all-time favorite villains in the whole Star Wars canon, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who looks like a human but has blue skin and glowing red eyes. And his, I guess he has many traits to speak of. Uh, one of the most interesting ones that's explored in this is that he's very much, he's psychological and sociological in his approach to military strategy. Kelsey said on our show that he's one of the best commanders in the whole Star Wars canon, if not the best. And what he does is he studies the art of his enemies and decides how they'll behave in battle based on their art, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I uh, uh, I could see it being a hand you would overplay after a while. But I mean, I guess I guess if there are truly dramatic psychological differences between the races, yeah, and I mean, in fairness, I wouldn't say this is explored at great, fascinating length. It's sort of just gestured at, because again, this is a highly functional novel that just moves along on rails. And that gives us another point. I mean, this is a big block of very satisfying ham. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes we often debate how to divide things into different categories. We're fond of the category of pulp. This, I mean, it, it is pulp. Uh, the only reason that I would that I would challenge its status as pulp would be that, like, because it fits into this massive uh, corporate storytelling machinery, it doesn't 
quite have that sort of like one-off penny dreadful elan of like, you know, older school pulp. But it's definitely the pulp that moves in the direction of where we are now, which is, you know, me having just seen the new Star Wars, which I have thoughts on that I won't get into too much depth here. But uh, wow. Anyway, um, anyway, the point being like this hams it up and those traits of Thrawn's, that's not like the most innovative idea anyone's ever had for a villain. But it definitely it puts them on a somewhat different plane than Vader or Palpatine or the villains up to this point in Star Wars, because he's not a religious zealot. He's a shrewd military commander. Uh, He's actually very humble in a lot of ways. When he loses a battle in this story, his second in command, Captain Peleon, expects him to order an all out assault when things go badly. And Thrawn says, uh, you know, I, I assume famously, if you're a Star Wars nerd, oh, do you expect me to try to, you know, cover up my embarrassment? by pushing this even farther because again Thrawn's like a he's a Sun Tzu style strategist he's a cool customer right absolutely so as as we go through this like thinking about it from the the lens you're talking about is it's sort of a it's a it's a space odor it's it's a it's a functional novel I can only think of one thing in this that really stands out as unusual in in the Star Wars universe and that is uh uh the race Vader rescued. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the Nogri. So uh to give people some background on that, there are these race this race called the Nogri that are like small and squat and gray. I don't actually have a great image of them in my mind's eye. We could pull up some images, I guess, but um we just know that they're small and gross looking and have gray skin and they're apparently master assassins. They're great at black ops sort of clandestine uh, warfare and assaults. And in that, what is what Zahn has added into the canon here is that apparently Darth Vader found them in a state of great distress and persuaded them to be, to sort of see him as their savior. And now that Vader's gone, Thrawn has also has found them and, you know, their their tribal hierarchy has decided that they will follow Thrawn and Thrawn is using them throughout this story as his personal assassins and bodyguards. And they're also on a constant quest to kidnap uh, Leia in particular, who is pregnant in the story, by the way, with twins from Han, who are uh, the father is Han Solo. And of course, one of those will become Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, a.k.a. Adam Driver. Uh, if you combine this canon with the new one, which you can't really do because they, 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 don't, they don't actually match up. But I think that, uh, you know, we can make some of these connections. Anyway, the no green so are constant. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm just going to assume that uh, that his love interest is the other twin. Uh, actually, no. So I, I made a mistake here. I'm trying to I'm trying to cross. I'm crossing the streams. You don't cross the streams. <laughs> I'm combining the Disney canon because as Luke pointed out, I think long ago when he came on to discuss Knights of the Old Republic, I think Disney more or less officially wiped out a lot of this non-filmic canon when they took over. Yeah, Thrawn isn't real, according to Disney. Yeah, so Thrawn, the the space that would have been occupied by Thrawn if they'd kept with this material, which I think they probably, (laughs) they would have been well served to have done so, honestly. But um, I think, I mean, I think the Zahn stuff is better than the J.J. Abrams stuff. Not a high bar, honestly. But uh Anyway, um, so yeah, no, Thrawn, there's a whole different, the new order in the new trilogy, which just wrapped up with Rise of Skywalker, is a whole different take on this. So I shouldn't have even tried to tie them together. The point is, though, we do know that in this universe, uh, Princess Leia is going to have children, just like in the new ones, and I'm assuming they're going to become important in whatever canon they're in. Um, but yeah, the Nogi are constantly going after, trying to get 
hold of Luke Skywalker and Leia because, uh, again, obviously this is all spoilers, but like Thrawn has found this Jedi master who is like hidden by the emperor on this important planet. We don't know what's so important about it, but this guy, Joris Sabauth, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but he's also apparently he's a clone of the actual Jedi. So that gets complicated, but he is, he does have Jedi powers and he's a dark Jedi and Thrawn thinks he can control this guy and what this guy wants he already has power over a planet that he lives on, but he wants um, power over other Jedi like Leia and her children. So that's what he's been promised by uh, Thrawn. And that, you know, that doesn't really get resolved in this first book. I assume there's a couple more in this trilogy mm-hmm. that I do want to read now. I want to take, take a moment to say I can, you know, I can say this is just functional. I can say that it's handing it up, but I actually do want to read the rest of the trilogy at some point because I am interested to see what happens. So hats off to Timothy Zahn. But, and um, I'm sorry, I've talked a lot. What what were you going to say is so different about the Nogri from the rest oh, sure. of the Star Wars universe? Okay, because, yeah, I could have gone in two directions here. One, I'm very interested in your your discussion of, like, workshman-like versus art. And, the, like, the whole art and craft discussion has been done to death. But I feel like you're talking about something a little different here, and I'd like to explore that a little deeper. But Nogri, we can, let's go there first. What's interesting about the Nogri for me is that they are a shade of gray in a black and white universe in that uh, a battle between the 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 empire and the rebellion was exterminating their race they were getting destroyed from above and vader saved them so they pledged their loyalty so we find ourselves in a situation where you have uh people who are completely devoted to the empire because the empire saved them and that's such a inside out thing to happen in this universe. I'm very interested in the race and the choices they make. Yeah. As we've said before, during star Wars month, the galactic empire is bad. And what we mostly see all across the star Wars canon is them being bad. Same with the Sith who of course are fused with them. Um, We know the dark side of the forces. It's not hard to describe. It's wanting power at all costs. It's wanting all of your desires to be manifested to the point where you essentially go insane with power um, and the light side of the forest is more complicated, but in the case of the Nogri, yeah, they're the shade of gray. Vader actually did save them and, and they felt that they owed him for that. And that is an interesting move by Zahn. And I will spoil it to say that in the course of this novel, uh, the Nogri flip sides, or at least they appear to be on their way to flipping sides because when they do finally reach Leia, uh, they realize that she's the heir of Vader and they're like, Oh, we need to be loyal to, you know, not to this blue blue guy, <laughs> you know, which is interesting. Um, so I agree. The shade of gray thing, the, the gray skin is, is rather on the nose. That's a very, very good point. And I think that Zahn is interested in complicating the light and dark side of the forest dynamic. I, I guess I'd say this. I don't think Zahn himself um, as much creative control as he may have had. Was that interested in the dark light side of the forest conundrum? I think he was in, he was, he pays attention to the forest, but it's mostly, I think what I would use it for more, which is just, it's the powers that Jedi have. And then it's, you know, there's an actual political struggle between a increasingly powerful, growing, but fractious and in constant crisis, new Republic. And there's a similar desperate and sputtering empire. So both the, you know, both the former rebellion and what's left of the empire become much more realistic political actors because they're both like we see in this book up front at all, you know, both sides are constantly in need of resources you know, they don't just have um, there's not this sense of like Deus Ex Machina is going to come 
for either of them. They were, they're playing with the hand they've been dealt and they're moving against each other and there's are squabbles and struggles within them. Um, you know, so Zahn is interested in grounding this in a more realistic politics and war uh, basis. And I think that's really... Yeah. And that's that's I think that's an excellent point. One of the first things he does, and you can't talk about this this book without doing spoilers. You know, hit pause, go read it. It's great. Welcome back. So um, <laughs> one of the things that Timothy Zahn does early on in this book is to set up a Jedi boundary condition. Because... Like in any sort of story you have where one group has a lot of Jedi and one group doesn't, it's like, well, why doesn't this just get magicked away? There are never any stakes. So one of the things he does early on is figures out a way to limit Jedi power. And I think that that's an incredibly smart move. And it makes these books so much more interesting than they would be because otherwise it would be, well, we have our dark Jedi too. And then Thrawn's not the hero anymore. Or not, not the interesting villain, I should say. He's the puppet of the interesting villain. Yes, very good point. Because so much of this is about Thrawn allying himself with, but also trying to manipulate and make subordinate the Dark Jedi that he does find. And there's a lot of discussion in the Force in this book, but so much of it is about the limitations of the Force. This this really like goes from Return of the Jedi is like, Force, Force, Force. And then this is like, well, step back for a second here. And talk like about the, the things Jedi can't do. And so much of this book takes place on, he said, boundary conditions. So they, for instance, this is a little bit of a cheap trick, but it serves a great purpose. They find this planet that's full of these sort of tree-dwelling animals that have like, a, that generate this force field in which the force as we know it can't work. So if Jedi are near these animals, their their powers are really impaired. And if you're in the forest where these animals live, like pretty much no force powers work throughout the forest, which is, you know, again, Kind of a cheap move, but really interesting because we go through a lot of the story. A lot of the story is Luke Skywalker not having force powers. He's still a good fighter, but he can't do magic tricks. And, you know, Thrawn also uses that to limit the power of the Dark Jedi he finds. There's just a lot of interesting places that go with it. And a lot of this book is Luke kind of failing at things, uh, having a ship break down in the outer reaches, being taken prisoner by people who have the ability to stop his force powers, going through the for- this dangerous forest without force powers, without even, even a weapon. So we see a lot of Luke failing and not being a superhero, um, which is fascinating. And, you know, it's uh, I forget the name, like the animals are called the Isolamari. I forget the name of the planet where they live. But like there's the cool smuggler who lives there, Talon Card, who's a great character. I suspect will become even greater in the rest of the books. He meets Mara Jade, who is introduced to us as like kind of a a Vader equivalent, like another top aide to the emperor who was also like, like a deep cover operative at Jabba's place. And Luke kind of blew up her whole deal. And so she wants to kill Luke. Um, And she's like a classically kind of badass chick character. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of cool, cool characters, new characters being introduced. I'm just going through the list here. Like Admiral Akbar is in here as like a politician who's not, who's way worse at being a politician than he is at being a, a, an admiral, which is interesting. I mean, there's so many, the more I think about this, the more I find just things to love in almost every chapter, which is a high compliment to be paid. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So um, if, if we could talk a little bit about 
uh, writing in relationship to this, because in a, in a broader sense, this this podcast is about writing as much as it is about science fiction. So do you think there is a useful dividing line to be made between sort of the workmanlike steps of building a story and doing the things that Zahn's doing here and uh, what needs to be done in literature? So, and I know that's a really broad question, but I'm just trying to get you to talk in that space a little bit in relationship with this novel. So first, let me say this. Yes. <laughs> that's point number one. Uh, point number two is I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad you put it in broad terms, because that that really is one of the animating questions of this podcast that will probably, you know, I don't want to say we'll never resolve it, but I think it's it's the it's one of the tensions that keeps this going is where is the divide between well, between genre writing and literary writing, but but all of the component parts there between plot, you know, is is plot versus character? Is there an antagonism there? Is there a difference between artful and functional prose? Like what dichotomies could we create? Are they useful? How do you bring them into, you know, how do you reconcile them? How do you create the dialectic between them? Uh, again, these are questions we ask all the time and they're fun. And I'm not interested really in giving people a firm answer that's packaged as a hot take. But I do think this is a really interesting book to ask that question about because I have identified it as being, you know, the, the apex of highly functional prose. So for you to have some sense of what I'm talking about, let me actually read from this novel. One second. Perfect. You know, while he's looking that up, I, I for one, would have been very amused if he had just given me a yes or no answer on that one. <laughs> just saying. Well, first of all, the answer is maybe. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I'm actually, I was going to read from the opening, but now I'm flipping through and I'm thinking... Okay, I'm just going to read. This is the opening of chapter 10. It's about a quarter of the way through the novel. As you can see, Wedge said, his voice grimly conversational as he crunched through plastic and ceramic underfoot. The place is something of a mess. That's for sure, Leia agreed, feeling a little sick as she looked around at the flat-bottom rubble-strewn crater. A handful of other Republic representatives from her party were wandering around the area, too, holding quiet conversations with their babfashi, that's hard to pronounce, escorts, and occasionally pausing to pick through the pieces of what had once been a major power plant. How many people died in the attack, she asked, not at all sure she wanted to hear the answer. In this system, a few hundred, Wedge told her, consulting a data pad. Not too bad, really. No. Involuntarily, Leia glanced up at the deep blue-green sky above them. Not bad, indeed. Especially considering that there had been no fewer than four Star Destroyers raining destruction down on them. A lot of damage, though. So I might read another section, but I want to focus on a few things that are happening there. Like this is, you know, I gave you a few paragraphs there with some dialogue between Wedge Antilles, you know, the uh, X-Wing pilot that we've known from the movies and, of course, Princess Leia. And um, that is just purely expository. Like it's just purely telling us where they are, what's happening, why are they there in very short order. He does things like opening a sentence with words like involuntarily, comma, which like, you know, again, it works. It tells me what I need to know as a reader to sort of move this forward. I have a sense of what she's feeling. If you, if you brought that into uh, class at writing school, it'd be like, stop opening so many sentences with adverbs. Preferably don't do it at all. Of course, I just did it while saying that. Preferably don't do it at all. Ha ha ha. But it's like, this is the kind of things like, you know, you're not, there's just conventions that we've established for literary writing that are sort of seen as hammy or cheesy or, you know, too general or vague. You know, like when the sentence like Leia agreed, feeling a little sick as she looked around at the flat bottom rubble stream crater. I believe it. I can sort of imagine I'm instantly there being like, yes, she's looking around at this scene of slaughter and she's feeling a little sick. And, you know, that that makes sense. You don't you then don't want to have to ask the question, 
is there a way to make Princess Leia more interesting? Is there is there a more complex thing she could be feeling? Um, you know, could that sentence be a little bit more lyrical? Yeah, uh, the answer to all those would be yes. And those are the questions that you're pushed to ask in what we call literary settings. Um, and as we've discussed, a lot of genre fiction has moved more in that direction. And here we are at something that's not going to move that direction. It just wants to get you through the story. It wants to tell you that the things you need to know to move through the story, the things that are going to anchor you in characters you already love. Um, so again, that's what I mean by functional. And, you know, I'm trying to think, look for another good one here. Um, I'll just read from the opening, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, to give another example. So this is the very opening of Heir to the Empire. Captain Peleon, a voice called down the portside crew pit through the hum of background conversation. Message from the sentry line. The scout ships have just come out at light speed. Peleon, leaning over the shoulder of the man at the Chimera's bridge engineering monitor, ignored the shout. Trace this line for me, he ordered, tapping a light pen at the schematic on the display. The engineer threw a questioning glance up at him. Sir? I heard him, Peleon said. You have an order, Lieutenant. Yes, sir, the other said carefully and keyed for the trace. Captain Peleon, the voice repeated closer this time. Keeping his eyes on the engineering display, Peleon waited until he could hear the sound of the approaching footsteps. Then, with all the regal weight that 50 years spent in the Imperial fleet gave to a man, he straightened up and turned. The young duty officer's brisk walk faltered, came to an abrupt halt. Uh, sir? He looked into Pelion's eyes and his voice faded away. Pelion let the silence hang in the air for a handful of heartbeats, long enough for those nearest to notice. This is not a cattle market in Shamhee, Lieutenant Shell, he said at last, keeping his voice calm, but icy cold. This is the bridge of an Imperial Star Destroyer. Routine information is not, repeat not, simply shouted in the general direction of its intended recipient. Is that clear? Shell swallowed. Yes, sir. Pelion held his eyes a few seconds longer, then lowered his head in a slight nod. Now, report. Okay, so what that probably most reminded you of was like Tom Clancy. Like, we're on a submarine here, right? And it's like, these are all manly men, and they're doing manly men things, and it's all very important, and they don't have time for bullshit. And, you know, like, the things that... Again, you, you, there's no, I feel like everything I just read, you're not sitting there being like, wait, where am I? Why should I care? What's going on? You're like, all right, I care because I'm here to care about what's going on in Imperial Star Destroyer, which is a thing that I have some concept of what it is because I've seen the Star Wars movies, right? Like, and there's kind of a warm embrace that happens. You're being welcomed back into something you already love. You probably wouldn't have picked this novel up if you haven't seen the Star Wars movies. So you're like, oh, hell yeah. I mean, imagine it's 1991. This book just came out. You've been rewatching those three movies on VHS. Your VHS tape is getting worn out. You might have to go to Blockbuster to t- check out one of theirs, but you get it. And it hasn't even been rewound. And all that's annoying. And into your life comes this brand new Star Wars novel because you just want to get back into that world. And you pick this up and you're like, fuck yeah, Imperial Star Destroyer, right? <laughs> like, like, I mean, we get it. Like, And that's, that's what Zahn is going for and it's what he's achieving. And... No one's going to ask him, like, look at the sentence, keeping his eyes on the engineering display. Well, no. Then, with all the regal weight that 50 years spent in the Imperial fleet gave to a man, he straightened up and turned. Okay, like, I get it. Um, You know, if I was dissecting this in writing school, I'd be like, can this be a little bit less generic? Can it be more interesting? Can we say something that, can this guy not just be a type, right? Because he is just a type. He's a career military officer who's, who's good at what he does. And is not nearly as brilliant as Thrawn. And one of the main reasons he's on he's on stage so much in the story is to illustrate how strange and interesting Thrawn is. That's Pelion's role for the most part. He's the guy who's like, that's not procedure, sir, constantly, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you need those characters. He's like the senior red shirt, basically. 
Uh, well, it's 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 how you know Thrawn is a genius is by interacting with him all the time, right? Because Thrawn is so different and so bamboozling to a guy who's merely good at his job within the confines of the Imperial fleet. Okay, and again, like that's all great. Like this is not I'm not impugning any of the choices that Zahn makes because I think for what the goals are here, he did a sparkling job. I'm just saying that like you know if if uh, the sentences are not lyrical, they are you know he's speeding through them as a writer, I'm speeding through them as a reader. I know what he wants me to get out of it. I get it out. You know, if, if I start asking questions beyond that, then I will start. Like, I think it's partly just the, the questions the reader is asking, right? If like, the reader is then hungry for things that are more interesting, more dynamic, hungry for subtext, hungry for subtlety, hungry for, you know, to like, what is, you know, what, uh, what was it like for Captain Pallion growing up on the farm on whatever rock he grew up? Like, okay, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, right. And that is fine. Like, I I, want to be clear. I admire it. I just think that I can't quite get away with being that way. Like, you know, I'm asked to be a little bit more interesting in my voice because I'm a certain kind of writer. I'm asked to do a lot of things that Zahn is not interested in doing and he's not being asked to do in the scope of this Star Wars novel. And I, you know, I mean, gosh, we could talk about this forever and kind of this podcast is us talking about this forever. But I want to be clear. I love it. (laughs) I ate this up. I read this, you know. After finals uh, at writing school, I read it in the coffee shop and I was just digging it. I was like sitting there being like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, Wookiees. Ooh, Wookiee homeworld. You know, like, um, and it worked. So, like, I hope I've, have I managed to illustrate what I'm talking about here, Pete? I do. I do think so. Yes. Yes. Uh, but you led me to something I wanted to talk to you about, which is, uh, do you give a damn about canon? And I can get more specific with this in a minute. Like, the fact that none of this really happened in the eyes of Disney, is that important to you in any way? Well, I think that's—I'm glad you brought that up, because after having seen Rise of Skywalker, I don't want to get too much into that here. But a lot of the things that Zahn does really well are the things that Rise of Skywalker does unbelievably badly. Like, one, like Zahn is— ratcheting down the stake. I mean, ratcheting, he's ratcheting up the stakes for the characters that we care about by ratcheting down their magical powers. Cause he's reducing Luke Skywalker to just a canny good fighter. Doesn't have force powers in a lot of this book. Whereas I don't want to spoil rise of Skywalker. I don't want to get into Skywalker in detail. Rise of Skywalker goes in the opposite direction with all of this. And it is, it died. You know, I really think I don't care about Canon as a principle. I really don't. I do think that Disney, if Disney had just made these on movies, I don't know that they would have done worse at the box office. I think Last Jedi and this one are going to be disappointing for them and still make a lot of money, but like not as much as they'd hoped. Um, and I'm very curious to see what this, the future of the Star Wars franchise is because they own it and they're definitely going to make more stuff. Like we've already seen The Mandalorian. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I I mean, I, there's no there's almost no question that a, a, just a competent adaptation of these Zahn novels would have been better than what we've gotten. So that's not really answering your question about canon. I do not, I do not partake in, I I just don't care about canon in the way that certain people within fandoms do. Um, It's not really in me. I guess maybe I'm a hypocrite because I am interested in the canon of like certain video game universes. Um, And I guess I'm interested in Lord of the Rings, but I also like a lot of narrative universes that don't really respect canon. And I actually love how Star Wars like sort of molds and shifts and transmutes and breaks its own rules sometimes. I can dig that. Um... I really think that they're that if Disney wanted to make things easy on themselves, they might have just gone ahead and done these Zahn novels. Now, I think the obvious answer to the proposed to that would be, well, then you wouldn't have Adam Driver being a cool Sith and 
you probably wouldn't have done as well at the box office. And also you would have had to solve the problem of how are we doing Luke Skywalker without Mark Hamill being young and like, okay, all right. The more I think about this, the more I'm like, all right, there are problems here. Still though, (laughs) it's a better story. (laughs) Right. Well, so I think of it um, like as an RPG nerd, Uh, there are foundational pieces of Star Wars that a lot of people know and are very comfortable with, like, well, you were talking about, like, the the Wookiee home planet, you know, like Kashyyyk and, like, the life debts and all of that stuff. Uh, well, I mean, I know, I know that was deep in the Timothy Zahn stuff, but that's gone. Has that gone away or, like... Was it mentioned enough in the Clone Wars that it was rescued? It just seems like so much was thrown out and walking into these movies, I don't even know what's real anymore. Yeah, so I think that you raise a very good point here, which is that there's no question that between the debacle Lucas prequels and Disney's memory wipe, uh, that canon has been mutilated very badly in Star Wars and that there are real costs to that. Because as you mentioned, like the, the, the way that Zahn carefully builds on what's there uh, in Return of the Jedi and the other original movies um, is just just so much more interesting and intricate and thought out than the, these broad strokes that have been made in the prequels and in the Disney movies. So, yeah, I mean, a ton is lost. Uh, I don't think that it's lost. Like, I think we're getting to kind of like, like there's there's two questions here. One is like, was all this a mistake? And like, yeah, I think the prequels were almost entirely mistakes. I think a lot of the Disney trilogy has been very woefully misguided um, as well. And yeah, that was all, that's all a misstep in so many ways. And just speaking as a storyteller, I just think they missed a lot of cool opportunities. The sort of metaphysical, I think there's lots in this, what I don't understand and that what makes me a bad person for fandom is there's often this metaphysical discussion about the nature of canon. <laughs> like it becomes very important whether something is canon or not. I can't really bring myself to that place. Uh, partly because I do want storytellers, hopefully under better conditions than these Disney movies, but I do want there to be room to wriggle out of things. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of elder scrolls and elder scrolls has a really like extensive sort of lore universe that they cultivate and draw on. And sometimes they just, you know, let themselves off the hook with, you know, the <laughs> very disruptive devices that one can introduce in a fantasy world. And I'm also speaking as someone who is writing a novel that could be classified as fantasy right now. And like, you want to give yourself options, right? Like if I, if I were to write sequels to the one that I'm writing now or tie-ins, I would want, I would definitely be looking for ways to wriggle out of constraints that existed previously. And Zahn, whom I'm si- he's sitting here saying, I think did a great job, gave himself those options too, Right. Like the Asilomari, the anti-force animals, um, those are ways of wriggling out of, uh, you know, um, constraints that existed before. And it works brilliantly. So the point is, like, if if your way of escaping from canon is interesting and does cool things, I'm all for it. We only seem to get mad about it when it when it's perceived to be hurting the story, you know, obviously. And that's why a lot of the like. (laughs) <laughs> did a lot of the arguments about the last Jedi are just so hard for me to parse because I'm like, you don't really care about the canon of Luke Skywalker. You're just mad because Ray's a girl, as we said many times on here. Am I making sense? Uh, yes, but I would like to take a brief moment to tease you because something very funny happened within the last four minutes. 
What's that? I got completely disconnected, was unable to talk to you, and I've logged in as a different person, and you just continued your monologue, having no idea that happened. <laughs> I was going, man. It's like it's like Animal House. Forget it. He's rolling. <laughs> it worked out. That's fine. Um, I wanted to... Uh, Illustrate sort of the counterpoint of what can go wrong with uh, with canon and relying too much about what happened in, in the Star Wars universe. I would like you to do an image search for a particular Star Wars character. Are you game? Sure. Jackson. J-A-X-X-O-N. Jackson, Star Wars. Uh... He's a bunny rabbit. <laughs> he is a bunny rabbit. So what happened was when they were first doing the comics, uh, Lucas came down hard on the idea of making any changes to the existing characters. So they started trying to introduce characters that they could make changes to. And the first one they did was Jackson, who is clearly not canon now, which is good because he's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything about this character other than he's a green bunny yes. rabbit, which I find hilarious. <laughs> and that probably tells you a lot of what you need to know. I mean, look, like when I say, we talked about mistakes. I mean, you know, Jar Jar Binks is one of the most famous bewildering, like mistakes or missteps in the history of like mass culture. Um, you know, so that's where I, I'm, that's where it gets to me. It's like, okay, Jar Jar Binks, I guess, according to Disney is still canon. Jackson is not. Uh, Admiral Thrawn is not. Uh, I don't know. I guess Mara Jade is not. Which, by the way, I have a theory. Now that I've read this book and I've met Mara Jade and I've seen what a badass she is, she's kind of like dark Jin Urso or something. Uh, you Good, know, yeah. like now that I've met Mara Jade, I think I know what all those nerds were so mad about because they loved that Luke Skywalker got together romantically with this chick that they all have the hots for. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's look. Okay, I get it, guys. Like one of your favorite characters was written out of this story. So now I'm starting to understand more the 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 really intense fans and why they're so angry. I still think they that like a lot of the, the things people have said about Last Jedi are gibberish. But like I'm starting to see why if you've really read if this is your canon, if the novels are your canon, if Zahn is part of your canon, I can see why you would radically prefer that in some ways. And that, I, don't, I don't just mean thirstiness. Like okay, fair enough. But like I don't just mean thirst. I do mean that just like. There's all these cool things here that you wanted to have be contiguous with what happened to Skywalker and Han and Leia and and uh, Chewie and everybody else. And you've spent at this point maybe decades of your life feeling that way. And then Disney comes in and blows it up. And, right. you know, that doesn't mean that you need to. Yeah, it doesn't mean you need to yell about Mary Sue's because that just doesn't make any sense. But, like, I get why having that taken away hurt people. I actually do. I I'm with you on this. I mean, I, I feel like. If you had invested a lot in these books, which which I hadn't, but I easily could have because they're science fiction. They're from the right time period and they're excellent. I'd have been pretty pissed off if they if they pulled the rug out from under these. And I suspect that most of the people foaming at the mouth haven't even read these books because like most of the people foaming at the mouth are terrible people, but there's a core of them who actually read this stuff. And probably like that is a big part of their, uh, their, the reason they're mad. And that makes perfect sense to me. 
Yeah. So if you're if you are one of the few voices among the many that is mad that Disney wiped out a lot of cool things and replaced them with three movies that now I have to say, having seen all three of them, don't even feel like they're obviously connected because they have the same characters and there's kind of an arc. But like, wow, what a different set of approaches to this. And I'm not sure that any of them are that good, really, though they are certainly are different. Uh, I mean, Rise of Skywalker. We're going to get into that when we talk about it. Oh, yikes. Uh, It'll be the first episode where I get mad about Fortnite, which is bizarre, dude. (laughs) We've gone this far almost a year without getting mad about Fortnite, but that is over. (laughs) That is over. Yep. Um, And again, we're not going to do Rise of Skywalker here because you haven't seen it yet. But I mean, like, yeah, I mean, probably the best like uber nerdy kind of argument you could make against those movies in my mind would be to say, why don't they just do the Zahn novels? And I would be like, yeah, that's right. They should have just done the Zahn novels. So I'm with you. And this might be a, this might be a watershed moment for me to like have empathy for fandom and its extremes. Cause like, I'm like, yeah, all right, man. Like that was cool. That was tight. And honestly, one thing I'll say about the Zahn novels, I suspect the people that are doing the spinoffs, especially Rogue One, um, have read these, at least some of the people involved because that Rogue One to me is so great because it's in this cool Star Wars universe and it is all about the restrictions and limitations of these characters who are brave and heroic anyway. And that's something that Zahn is extremely interested in. Um, and that's why I'm going to, I, I mean, much respect to Zahn. Uh, have you read any of his other stuff, Pete, his non-Star Wars work? Um, I have. And, uh, okay. Um, the only thing I've read, yeah, it's, I was, I was in, I was in India on a business trip and it was like three in the morning and I was jet lagged and I read a book of his about Starcraft. Okay. Before you tell this story, I want to pause here for a second and say, this is the most Pete thing I've ever heard. I was in India jet lagged at three in the morning and I said, why don't I just sit down and read a whole novel? (laughs) Yeah, that that is absolutely me. Um, well, the thing is, I I I couldn't I couldn't tell you anything about it. Like, I have no memory of having read it. I remember thinking it was okay. Here it is. It's called Starcraft Evolution. Yeah. So he's doing a Starcraft tie-in, just like he did a Star Wars tie-in. That he's being commissioned to do that by existing intellectual property. And I would be, you know, I, what I'm curious about the Zon. I wonder if he's someone, if you met him, maybe not in a group setting, but like over a beer, if you just said like, hey, man, I read your Starcraft novel. Sorry to say it was totally forgettable, which you wouldn't say because it's rude. But like, I wonder if his response would be like, oh, whatever. I just did it for the money. I get it. It is forgettable. Or if he'd be like, sir, sir, how dare you? sir?" <laughs> um, most writers, to be frank, would probably, but whether they said it or not, their, in, their interior monologue would be more along the lines of, sir, sir, how dare you? Because. Most writers living now, especially, uh, you know, if, like even if they may know one, le- one level of there did something that was mercenary, they're going to get defensive about it. They have an emotional investment in it. I'm not so sure about San because it sounds like he just goes to work, does his work and gets that check. And I did see in the at least according to the jacket copy of my book, he uh, he lives in Pete land and um, Frank Herbert land, the Oregon coast. Um, and I think he just goes and gets paid, but I don't know. I don't know the guy. I'd be curious though. Well, and I mean, he's certainly most famous for these books. I could see it tipping either way. Frankly, I, I actually did that to Walter John Williams. I don't know if I ever told you that story. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think oh, you did. <laughs> at, at one point I was, I was having a back and forth conversation with him on his blog and 
he was he was like, well, it's it's you know, it's really nice to be talking to somebody who's read all my books. And I'm like, well, all of them, but the Star Wars. And he's like, what do you mean by that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I mean. It's 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 a fair point. I I basically one of the reasons I didn't read these the Zahn novels or any of the other ones is because I was too much of a sci-fi snob. Back in the day. Right. Yeah. So to you, this was not real sci-fi. Right. Right. It it was I I was better than Star Wars tie-ins or Star Trek tie-ins. I just didn't do those things. And like in hindsight, that is a that's a very thin read to put your coolness on. I mean, <laughs> saying I read, I read much more intense sci-fi than the Star Wars tie-ins. That's why I'm cool. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that doesn't really hold up. And I, I mean, it makes me really glad I, w- I went back and I read these. And, and like, I, one of the interesting things to me about Star Wars and even Star Trek tie-ins, as long as I brought them up, is there's a lot of good genre writers that I'm into who wrote those things, and I never bothered to read them. So, like, as we go through, I'm just going to have to pick them up and see how they are. I mean, why not? Yeah, why not is right. I mean, I never intended. I've always seen these Star Wars paperbacks floating around in my whole life. I never really had it in mind to go, you know, read that. Because I've never been a huge Star Wars guy. And I, the novel reading time that I've had in my life, I've generally been perhaps overly serious, definitely overly serious about it. Um, but to be clear, I, I am very happy to read this book. The more that we talk about it, the more I'm reminded of how much I enjoyed reading it. Um, and that I really do want to read the rest of this series. And I had a good old fashioned time. And in fact, folks, if you're looking for a palate cleanser because you didn't like Rise of Skywalker, go get Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire. Go meet Grand Admiral Thrawn. Go meet the Il Silamari. Meet Talon Card. Meet Mara Jade. I think you'll feel a lot better. That's my that's my strong recommendation. Um, and Connor, I've got to confess, according to my clock. This episode is 11 minutes long, and I know that's not true, so I don't know if we've reached a good spot. Uh, we're at about 45 minutes, which is about exactly where we want to be. Absolutely. So okay. Well, I think we should. I Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Go check out Heir to the Empire. Uh, do yourself a favor if you like Star Wars. And even if you don't like Star Wars, this is like just pretend it's Tom Clancy and it's on a submarine or something. You might still enjoy it. Uh, thanks everyone. And you know, uh, I'm, I'm legally enjoying against saying Merry Christmas, but happy holidays. (laughs) Take care guys. (laughs) 